the spiritual nutrition to other Christian people for the continuance of your life. Do you really love me? Then go and do that. Be restored to me. Be restored to ministry. Now, Peter, listen, he was impetuous, but Peter got it. By the time he's involved in ministry several years down the road and he's been doing this thing. I mean, Acts chapter 2, not long after that, Jesus ascends and Peter's the guy who preaches at Pentecost. I mean, Peter gets it. He does. And you get to 1 Peter chapter 5 and the first few verses and Peter writes this. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Notice, feed the flock of God. He's saying to other elders of other local churches, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. That word that's translated feed, it's a great word. It really has many nuances of meaning and and it includes this whole idea of shepherding, caring for, tending to, okay? Feed, care for, take the oversight thereof, okay? It includes all of these meanings. Shepherd the flock of God, which includes feeding, which includes protecting, which includes leading and guiding as a shepherd. This feed my sheep command, this is nothing more than the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Because when you take a person under your wing and you are involved in biblical discipleship, what you are doing is you are feeding that believer. You are caring for them. You are taking the oversight thereof. You are providing leadership for. Your life becomes a living example, which is exactly what the old English word ensample means. A living example. And you become ensamples to the flock. You step out in front of them. You live your life in an exemplary way. You carry them along with you. You care for them. You help them. You show them. You feed them God's word. You make disciples. That's the mission. That's what, he's, that's what he wants them to do with the rest of his life. If you have been restored to the Lord Jesus Christ, don't just enjoy it for yourself. Share it with others. Even difficult times. Look, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. I love 2 Corinthians chapter number 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation. Why? That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. How? By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Have you been through tough times? Well, if you're still breathing, you've been through tough times. All of us have been through tough times. Some tougher than others. And if you've been through tough times and God has brought you through it, by his grace, you believed him, he brought you through it. It wasn't easy, you wouldn't volunteer to sign up again, but the things you learned in your walk with Jesus Christ are priceless and you would not trade them in for anything. He taught you things. Take those things and help other people who need those things. 
Some people may have had trouble in their marriage and their marriage fails and they're divorced and God eventually restores them and their life is solid with the Lord again at some time later and then they meet somebody else who's struggling with a marriage. Who better to help that person who's currently struggling than somebody who has struggled and found victory ultimately on the other end? Somebody's battling with a life-threatening illness. Somebody else has been through such a situation and trusted God and maybe God was gracious enough to heal them and keep them alive. I don't know. Whatever it is, if you have gone through something, financial trouble, relational trouble, and God has got you through it, share that and use it. You don't just do that for yourself. You don't just keep it for yourself. You have it to to share with others. So he says, Simon, do you love me? And then, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. I want you to just notice this. God uses illustrations for a reason. He's the author of all life. He made all the plants and all the animals. He knows all the characteristics and instincts that all the animals have. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a rancher. I'm not a fisherman. I'm kind of a city guy, okay? You look at a sheep. They're kind of cute, little fuzzy little things, kind of cute. You want to rub their ears maybe? I don't know. But they're kind of dumb. (laughs) Sheep, not the brightest animal, you know, God ever put down here. He made them to follow. They also kind of stink. Have you ever been around wool that gets wet? It's kind of stinky. Jesus doesn't say, Simon, do you love the sheep? No, he says, Simon, do you love me? And then he says, feed my sheep. You see, because if we're going to take the time to care for and sacrifice for and to feed and to take the oversight of and love and nurture and build up sheep that can sometimes stink, sometimes they're a little irritating, sometimes they're a little thick-headed and don't want to listen, it's not because we love the sheep so much all the time. It's because we love the Lord. And the Lord loves the sheep. You know that in your own interpersonal relationships. If you love somebody with all your heart and life and that person loves something, you may not care about that particular thing, but because you love the person and the person loves that thing, now you're interested in that thing because you love that person. And he says, Simon, look, let's just get the priorities down. If you all are going to be involved in personal biblical discipleship of other people, It can't be because the disciples are just so awesome. It's because God is so awesome. And you love him that much. And he loves the people that much. And for his sake, you will do whatever sacrifice is necessary to be the living example and to care for and feed and grow up the other disciples. In John chapter 14 and verse number 15, he says it kind of a different way. He had told the disciples earlier, if you love me, keep my commandments. And among the commandments would be, (laughs) or summarized as, feed my sheep. I think that's fair. Can I just tell you that nothing that you can possibly do with your life is more worthwhile than to give your life to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, to invest in other people. When you invest in God's people, you're you're investing in God, (laughs) Because we are his body. 
we are investing in the very thing that he loves supremely more than anything else in the world. And we invest in something that will continue to outlive our physical lives. We make a difference. Far more important than any temporal wealth or success. Listen, in my line of work, I have a a lot of privileges and a lot of blessings. I also have to see and be aware of some of the very worst that Christians have on display. And I'm just telling you, if it was just about responding to people because the people are so awesome, when you see some of the things I see, it's very easy to say, no thanks. I can make a living doing something else. I don't do it just because, listen, there's wonderful people that are a blessing. I'm just saying, you do it because you love the Lord. And that will sustain you even when the sheep aren't so lovable. It will sustain you. So, that's the key. You're restored to ministry. Let me ask you this question. Have you counted the cost of fellowship? Let me ask you this question. Have you, have you failed the Lord? Something that you can remember? Has something, maybe while we're talking, the Lord has just kind of put his finger on a point in your life and said, hey, you know you've never got this thing right. And it's just kind of bugging you right now. I don't know what it is, but the Holy Spirit does. If that's you, would you be willing to just agree with God and confess to him and repent and turn from that? But not just that. Would you be willing to so restore your relationship with God that you don't just sit on the sidelines as a spectator, but you actually get in the game? You actually get involved? You actually participate in feeding sheep? Because that's really the cost of fellowship. If you're going to truly have fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have that in common with him. That's what that is. It's like he's pleading with us to do that. Well, the second point is the cost of following. And this will be the remainder of our text. Let's go back to John 21 and start in verse 18. We'll read to verse 23. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, he's again speaking to Simon Peter, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither uh, thou wouldest not. What's that all about? Verse 19. This spake he, signifying by what death he, Peter, should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. Then Peter, turning about and seeing the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be a reference to John, he turns about and seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned upon his breast at supper and saith, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? That was John that did all of that, okay. Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciple, that that disciple should not die. Yet Jesus saith not unto him he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? And so this issue of following comes up. Jesus points out 
that Peter's death will come in such a way that he will be carried down some road very different than what Peter would prefer, okay? And that's kind of what he's talking about. It's, it's in our lives of following him, okay, there is, there's no room for deviation. If you deviate from the road that Christ has, has marked for us to follow him, even just for a little while, for that little while, you're not in fellowship and you're not following. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that just makes sense. So, this cost of fellowship, this cost of following has got to be a continuous, lifelong commitment of our lives. And the first thing we're going to see as we look at that is to surrender all. Surrender all. And again, verses 18 and 19, this description that Peter will die in some manner. Now, there's historians that would try and tell us that Peter was going to be crucified, that he had made the statement, I'm not worthy to, be, uh, to, to die the same way Jesus did. Crucify me upside down. Maybe you've heard that story. Uh, there's no evidence really biblically that any of that's true. It may be true. It may not be true. As much as you might want to trust some of the historians, it may or may not be true. Jesus does not specifically say that that's how he's going to die. He just says that he's going to die, and however it's going to happen, it's going to be against his natural human will okay that's basically all he's saying and so i want you to see though more importantly and the end of this discussion that he talks about peter dying it real pleasant follow me follow me i want you to understand that following jesus requires death to our old lives because our nature runs contrary to Christ's new nature. And what he's saying here to Peter is very consistent with all of the teaching that he would have given them over the years. If you'll look with me in Luke chapter 14, and we're going to look at several places now. Luke chapter 14, very consistent with what he would have always said. This association with death to ourselves in conjunction with following him. Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me, And hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross, the instrument of capital punishment, and come after me, cannot be my disciple. It's that willingness to do whatever it takes. I am done I am gone. I am not even in this equation anymore. I live for Christ. That's what he's always called his disciples to do. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 10, where Jesus is speaking to seven different churches in Asia Minor, verse number 10, it says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Here's what he says. Be thou faithful unto death. And I will give thee a crown of life. Some people like to refer to that as a martyr's crown. If there have been throughout history of the church, many, many thousands, multiplied people who had literally shed their blood and given their physical life standing for the Lord Jesus Christ. They would receive this martyr's crown. And that's true. That, they deserve that. That is absolutely true. But that is not the only application and understanding of this crown of life. Be thou faithful 
unto death. This has got to be a lifelong process of carrying your cross and living as though you are already dead. That you don't live for your own desires. And that's proven to us by looking in James chapter 1 and verse number 12. James chapter 1, notice. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive what? The crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So now the same crown of life is not just given to those who give their physical lives in defense of the truth. It is now also offered to anyone who willingly endures temptations. In other words, the world is full of temptations every day all around us. And if you will say no to those things, they are temptations, meaning they entice us. They are desirable. They are things that our flesh would want for us to have. But we willingly say no to those things. We die to ourselves. And he says, you know what? I'm going to give you a crown of life because you chose to die to yourself even though your physical life continues. And that's what he wants for us. That's what he's calling Peter to do for the rest of your life. You're going to die anyway. Look, just follow me. Luke chapter 9, 23 and 24. What Jesus says to the disciples, he says to all of us. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. He says you've got to take up your cross daily. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 refers to the same thing where he says, look, I testify in Christ. I, I die daily. And you know what? That goes contrary to our will. Inside of each and every one of us is a very powerful force which very frequently is used for good. It's the will to live. If any of you or your loved ones have ever been through a very, very serious life-threatening illness, very frequently people that are near the end of their physical life continue on for months and even years simply because they have the will to live. And contrarywise, people who just along the path of suffering just decide one day, I'm tired, I'm done. When the will goes, the life goes. Ask medical professionals, they'll tell you. It's about your will to live. Well, in our spiritual lives, it's just the same. As long as our old man has that will and that desire to live, we will hang on to our old desires. But we have to choose to die daily. We have to choose to die every single day because I may have gotten victory today, but I'm going to wake up tomorrow and a whole new world of temptations are going to present themselves. Earlier in the Gospels, we saw that followers fish. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. If you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ, you'll be a fisher of men. Here in this passage, we see that followers also feed fishermen. Feed my sheep, because the sheep are to be fishermen, right? 
And if you're going to do that, it's going to come at a cost. It's going to come at some great personal sacrifice, even your desires. You have to surrender all if you're going to follow. You have to give up your will to live and allow Christ to live through you. That's the Christian life. Point number B, all alone. You're going to do this, you're going to do it by yourself. Now when I say all alone, I do not mean that you are the only one in the world who's doing it. We are a body. There's tons of us out here doing it, okay? What I'm saying is, is that Jesus asks you to make your decision all by yourself. Your mama can't make it for you. Your daddy can't make it for you. Your husband, your best friend, they can't make it for you. You have to make your decision all by yourself. And in this part of the scripture, what we see is that Peter, here's this story. Your life's going to end, Peter. You follow me. Peter looks around and he sees John, the disciple who Jesus loved. And what does it say that he sees John doing? Doing exactly what Peter was just asked to do, following. And Peter asked the question a lot of us would ask. What about John? (laughs) I'm dying, I guess. You know, you can almost read that in his voice. I guess I'm dying. What about him? And Jesus says, yeah, what about him? What if he stays alive until I return? You know, it's kind of funny. It's our tendency, isn't it? I mean, I find this to be a human characteristic. I I find it very prevalent in the American culture. We are all, I am all about fair play. I think we're all about fair play. You know what? If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. You know, if, it's, if he's got to go through it with me, okay, that's fine. But if I'm the only guy that's got to go through it and my buddy doesn't have to go through it, foul, no fair, throw the flag, not right. And Jesus is like, sorry, life ain't always fair. I have an assignment for you, Peter, and I'll have an assignment for John. And it doesn't really matter what my assignment for John is. I have an assignment for you. You follow me all by yourself. You decide if you're going to do it all by yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. If you're not aware of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 12, you need to highlight it, circle it, mark it down. Uh, notice this is a great verse, great reminder. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 12. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise because jesus christ doesn't grade on the curve y'all jesus christ has an assignment for me and i need to fulfill my assignment He has an assignment for you, and you need to fulfill your assignment. If we went to Colossians chapter 4, we read about a guy named Archippus. And he says, Take heed to the ministry that thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Because Archippus was given something specific to do. 
And what he had to do was whatever that was. Archippus didn't have to do Paul's ministry, and Paul didn't have to do Archippus's ministry. At the end of Paul's physical life, we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that he says, I've fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I didn't finish everybody's course. I finished the work God gave me to do. And God gives each and every one of us a unique task and a calling and the, and the gifting and the tools and the grace necessary to carry those things out. Do that and be blessed in your life. I heard a guy say one time, and I think this is a great definition of success. Here's a great definition of success. Figure out whatever God wants for you to do and do that. Do that. If you figure out whatever God wants for your life and you do that, you're a successful man or woman. Regardless of whether this world thinks so, whether you have a lot of riches, whether you have a lot of position or power, in God's eyes, you have done exactly everything that he's asked and you are successful. What about John? <laughs> it's our tendency to do that, isn't it? And I, I love, I love Jesus' response. And what's it to you? I love that. You ever want to just say that to people? What's it to you? What's, what business is it of yours? What business is it of yours? What John does, really? You know, every one of us would do well to just kind of internalize that for a second. What difference does it make, really? Follow thou me. And so Jesus replies with this hypothetical situation. If I will that John tarry until I come. In other words, if I want John to live forever without ever dying, which, by the way, the Apostle John, for you Bible students, is a great picture of the church who lasts all the way to the rapture and is called out of here never having to experience physical death. John chapter, or Revelation chapter 4, he's caught up into the third heaven when he's called, come up hither. John is a picture of the church at the rapture who never dies. But Jesus just says, hey, if I want to do this, hey, maybe he'll never die. Maybe he will. I don't know. It's kind of hypothetical. What a, well, who cares? What do the disciples do immediately? Those disciples do exactly what we would all do. The gossip chain starts. Hey, did you hear? John's not dying. <laughs> and everybody's telling everybody, did you hear John's not going to die? Man, John's not going to die? Really? Jesus is like, I didn't say that. Go figure. People can take something you said out of context. And do that broken telephone game, by the time it gets to the end, it's an entirely different story. That's what they were doing. And Jesus is like, I didn't say that. I didn't say he's not going to die, but if I will that he tarry, here's what I really said. What's that to you? What's that got to do with you? Because Jesus has a unique job and a unique calling for me in my life and a unique job and a unique calling for each and every one of you. And he'll give you the tools and the strength and the grace and the ability to carry it out. And it is not dependent upon what he has given to somebody else. It's individualized for each and every one of you. It's really important. And it's important that we figure it all out. Think about it for a second. We enjoy the fact that what we experience in the Lord Jesus Christ is what we call a personal relationship with him. Amen? 
And we really like to stand on that when somebody gets up in our grill and says, what are you doing? You're like, hey, man, it's my relationship with the Lord. What are you doing? But at the same time, the fact that it's a personal relationship means that Jesus is going to tell me stuff that he wants me to know and he wants me to do. And he'll tell you, he's fully capable of telling you what he wants you to know and what he wants you to do. And don't compare yourself with me and don't compare yourself with your brother. Do what God told you to do. By the way, there's plenty that he told us all to do, amen? There's plenty. You have to argue about it. So if Jesus Christ were to call any one of us and say, hey, I want you to go to this real dangerous place and I want you to preach the gospel and nobody's going to get saved and then they're going to kill you. It's happened, by the way. There's a whole list in Hebrews 11 of people who went through terrible torture. Would you say their life was a failure? I wouldn't. By the way, you'll meet them one day in heaven. I wouldn't. If you do that, our job is to just say, yes, sir, and go do it. Okay? Now, if he was going to call me to do that, he better use my middle name because I want to know for sure that he's really doing that. Just saying. And those of you that know me know I don't have a middle name, so that's... I think of it this way. We follow Jesus Christ single file. Yes, there's many of us, thank God. But we follow him one, one at a time. I make my decisions for me. You make your decisions for you. And that's what he has, that's what he has for us. It doesn't matter if other people seem more blessed. It doesn't matter if Jesus Christ seems to be asking me to fulfill some challenge that other guys don't seem to have to deal with. I have to do what he's asking me to do. And that's the cost of following. That's the cost of following. Let's look back in John 21. We're going to wrap it up with just the last couple of verses and we're done. Verses 24 and 25. This is the disciple which testifieth of these things. This is proof that John is the human author. It's the gospel according to John. John is the disciple that testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. He refers to himself in the third person. It's not an uncommon literary tool. And he says, And there are also many other things which Jesus did the which, if they should be written every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this. I just want you to consider. I passed the 50 mark a couple of years ago, and I would guess that if somebody were so bored (laughs) as to just follow me around every minute of every day of my life and record everything I've ever done, that all the books that could be written about everything I've ever done would easily fit in this room. Easily. It's a big room. Jesus, if all the things were written, he said the world can't even contain. Listen, you can, you can work in your mind whether or not literally you think that's true or not. I'll give you space for that on your own. Understand that in the verse, first off, it just says, I suppose. It says, I suppose. But also understand this about the word of God because this is the story of God and it is God's very soul as we've talked about it. It, it describes not just his actions, but his mind and his will, his thoughts. And God is infinite. (laughs) 
And if we're going to have a, a, a comprehensive record of an infinite God, there would be an infinite amount of record that the world itself couldn't even contain. I think that's the point he's trying to make. At the end of the day, all that matters is this account that we have is true. It is true. And the summary of the Gospel of John, if I summarized it in two simple points I have it in front of you. First is the proof. Jesus is God. That is proven throughout this Gospel. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And the reason why it's written, like at the end of chapter number 20, is this promise that if you will believe on Him, you will have the free gift of eternal life. As I was studying this week, I was just reminded of a an old song we used to sing many years ago, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. A lot of you remember that song. And so the first stanza, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus, repeated three times, no turning back, no turning back. And then the next stanza comes in and it says, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back. And then it goes on and it says, though none go with me, still, will I follow? Isn't that the message we're getting here? Isn't that exactly what he's talking about? The world behind me, the cross before me, even if nobody will go with me, there's no turning back. And the last stanza of the song is really our invitation. Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning back. No turning back. I want us to pray together. Let's pray.